Good morning. It's a Piwaka Waka. And this is my virtual garden. This is my podcast. And I call it Garden Link. Why don't you join my fantail and come on into my garden? Well, hello again. It's time for me to do another podcast. And we're into the beginning of August now. And here in Canterbury, we haven't really had winter, but the forecasters are telling us it's just about to hit us in the next week or so. Still, let's get on and see what we're going to be talking about this time round. I have quite a few things going on in my garden. I have lettuce seedlings under cloches. I have garlic and shallots and broad beans getting started. And I'm also pruning the fruit trees and thinking about the late winter sprays before bud movement. And judging by some of the plants that I see when I'm out walking or cycling, it must be coming fairly soon. I've seen some early ornamental prunus in flower, and I've seen some roadside plantings of Pyrus caliana starting to show some bud movement. So, in this podcast, I want to talk about seed catalogues, with King Seeds, you know, those moments in the evenings when we can dream and imagine our spring and summer garden with our catalogues on our laps. Mine's just come through from King's. I also want to talk about black currants. There are quite a few black currant growers in this area of Canterbury, and black currants do well in our growing conditions. I think black currants are one of the underrated fruits that we can grow. The fruit's extremely healthy when it's processed into drinks or confectionery or dessert dishes. I did use the word extremely on purpose. The vitamin C levels are remarkable, much higher than citrus, for example. These days we talk about antioxidants, and vitamin C is an antioxidant along with several other, for example, pigments. Pigments have quite a bit of antioxidant properties and black currants, plenty of pigment too. So it means black currants are a really wonderful source of antioxidants. So much so that in fact black currants have been dried and pulverised and tableted to make antioxidant pills, which is a very simple and natural nutraceutical. So let's get started with my second episode of Garden Link. I spoke to Gerard on the phone at the end of July. Gerard Martin and his wife Barbara took over King Seeds in 1999 from Ross King and moved the business down to Katakati. So this is what Gerard had to say about this coming season and their new catalogue. Now I remember King Seeds when they were up in Auckland but you took over um, how many years ago now? That's correct. We took now for approaching 17 years. We bought it off Ross and Glenis King, who we'd been buying, well, seed from ourselves for a number of years prior to that, and had developed a, a friendship with them. Mm. We discovered that we had a, a similar outlook and, and uh, a similar philosophy on, on growing, and it was a logical choice for us to take over the business and keep it running along the lines that they had been. As it was based in Auckland, we had no intention of staying up there, so it was an opportunity to move the business down to Caddy Caddy and establish it as purely a mail-order business. Mm. How many catalogues have you now put in, uh, put together? Uh, a way of refreshing the range every year. 
when we took it over, there was around about 1,000 varieties of herb, flower and vegetable seed in the, in the range. Over the years, we've found that uh, flower seed to home gardeners has decreased and vegetable seed to home gardeners has increased. So the balance of the catalogue has shifted from one to the other, with the range staying at around 950 to 970 varieties every year. Uh, I try and refresh it by around about 5% to 10% a year, so it means we might have between 40 and 90 new varieties every year across the range. How, how do you decide what new varieties to uh, p- put in? It's based on a number, number of factors. It could be on availability of a particular variety. It could be that that is no longer a popular variety or that I've come across one that is new and unique or it has been superseded by something better. Mm. Well, how, how do you find that out, though? I Part of my job is sourcing new varieties, and I scour the seed world from overseas, uh, looking at overseas catalogues to see what other companies are doing and incorporate their uh, new ideas into what is applicable to the New Zealand marketplace. But I imagine you have to go travelling sometimes. Uh, yes, that's part of the job, unfortunately. Well, <laughs> it's uh, one of the lucky parts of it. We will go and visit trial gardens in America or in Europe and also visit the suppliers. Uh, a number of our suppliers are based either in Europe, North America or in Asia. So to see what they recommend and what they're offering as new new varieties is always an interesting thing. And to pick their brains as to trends, uh, colours, tastes, fashions or, or just new ideas is always good. And I notice you source quite a bit of organic seed these days. That's right. We source uh, organically certified seed from several large companies overseas that are certified to the highest standards. Uh, It all comes under the IFOAM umbrella, which is the International Federation for Organics. Uh, We find it's increasingly popular. I I think that people are trying to uh, purchase seed that has been produced in an environmentally friendly manner and are looking to reduce the, both the chemical content in their lives uh, by purchasing organic goods. Uh, they perceive it as a good healthy option for them to start their seedlings is to have organic seed. Do, do you buy any seed from New Zealand producers? Yes we do. We, we do purchase uh, quite a bit of pea and bean seed in particular from down in the Canterbury region of the South Island. Uh, New Zealand is a leading pea breeder uh, and does multiplication work for a number of international companies in the Canterbury region. So we do get quite a bit of pea seed in particular and beans from around the Ashburton area. Mm-hmm. Now, now I always think that one of the favourite winter jobs for a gardener is uh, the evening looking at a catalogue and you know, always excited to see new things. What, what's exciting in your catalogue that's just come out, hasn't it? Yeah, uh, yes, that's right. It was, uh, it's, it's only come out in the last fortnight. Uh, well, if you break our catalogue down into the flowers, herbs and vegetable sections, in the flower section, perhaps one of the more popular ones that we're noticing a, a, a hit on already is the Choc Cosmos, which is a perennial rather than an annual variety of Cosmos. Uh, it's got a quite a unique fragrance to it as well, which is, I suppose if you have a good, a good imagination, you can scent that chocolateness about it as well. Oh, it does smell like chocolate, does it? It does smell like chocolate. It's sort of a, a, a spiciness to the flower. Mm. It can be, once the flower is fully open, you can detect it if you do have a good set of nostrils on you. 
Yeah. But uh, the uniqueness of the flower is that uh, it, it is that sort of uh, burgundy chocolate colour, which is not that common in nature. Yeah. Uh, black is hard to achieve, and it's it's more black than purple, I suppose, or chocolatey, <laughs> chocolatey black. Oh, okay, okay. I, I, I've always enjoyed cosmos. I remember it growing wild by the roadside in southern Africa. Yes, uh, cosmos is, is generally known as an annual species, but this is quite unique in that it is a perennial variety of cosmos, and uh, a German company has managed to breed it. Normally it was done by division, uh, and this is the first time it's been offered by seed, Ooh. which is quite unique. Yeah, okay. Uh, another one of the flowerings that's uh, quite happy to have there is, uh, is a species of Phacelia from the California region, the deserts. We've got a list of Phacelia desert bells, uh, and that's a very beautiful blue colour uh, wildflower. I'm quite happy to have that in our range. Um, moving into the herb section, uh, we've reintroduced Mitsuba, which is a, a Japanese parsley. Yes. Uh, to look at it, it looks like a gigantic Italian parsley. Mm-hmm. In the vegetable section, it's always the, the area that I, I really enjoy looking at, often scouring the, the older catalogues for heirloom vegetables, which is a real favourite of mine. Oh. Also, how to improve uh, the varieties that we have in place already. So things like, you know, we already have a, a parsnip, so we've introduced a hybrid parsnip. Tomato range, which is uh, very much a... Uh, an icon of our range is, is finding heirloom tomatoes. I managed to get an, an old heirloom Italian variety called a winter grape. And these traditionally were a late, late maturing cherry tomato where you'd rip the whole plant out of the ground and hang it upside down so that the fruit would stay fresh for several months. And you'd either use them to make your, your pasta, pasta sauces with mm-hmm. or to eat fresh for, for several weeks as it hung there or to dry them out completely and have them as a dried tomato. You've got a, 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 a German grape tomato as well, haven't you? That's right. Uh, it's, it's bred for the container market where, you know, these days we have a lot of people living in apartments or smaller buildings, so to have a container tomato is uh, very popular. It's called Sodernu, Sodernu, yeah. uh, and it's bred by a German company. Uh, very prolific sort of cherry tomato that only stands about a metre tall with, uh, with great taste and a high bricks level, uh, bricks being sugar levels. We also come across a, a black oxart tomato, which is another heirloom one. One of our staff members grew and bulked up, and that, uh, that should uh, excite the taste buds of the tomato people out there. So, so you're actually now producing your own seed as well? Bits and pieces, yeah, bits and pieces. The With the tightening quarantine regulations that we now face, uh, it, it, it helps to have to, to start to bulk up a few lines ourselves, mm. and sometimes because of their scarcity and rareness, they, they are hard to source in commercial quality. It's necessary to do that. Um, do you have some sort of trial gardens as well, Jared? Yes, we do. We try and trial as many uh, new varieties as possible. I've got a, a trial garden at home. At the moment, it's, uh, I've got quite a number of Passiflora varieties that I'm looking at doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are the passion fruit varieties that might have other qualities rather than tasty fruit. They might be amazing looking flowers that come out perhaps. Yeah. So it's, uh, I've got currently 10 cultivars or species of, of passion flower growing mm-hmm. and we've whittled it down to, t- down to eight already and perhaps within the next year or so we'll be able to introduce a few more into our range. It's a matter of finding which ones will, will grow in our climate, uh, mm. which ones will be 
easier to grow rather than harder to grow because we need to have people having success with them rather than being too difficult. Mm. They have to have a uniqueness or a point of difference from other varieties. Uh, well, I did notice, for example, not that we, I expect to grow it down here, you even had a banana in your uh, catalogue. That's right, yep. Uh, it's a tropical um, ornamental banana. Very popular. Uh, it would grow down your way, but you would have to have it in a conservatory to protect it from the frost. Mm. Uh, very, very prolific grower. Uh, the fruit aren't that tasty, but it is the, the flower that you're looking to to grow, and it grows really well in a, a large container in a conservatory or, or covered area where it's not going to get frosted. Well, there was more talking uh, in that interview, and we sort of made a promise that we would get together again and talk more about the seeds from King Seeds, because they supply some really interesting stuff to gardeners here in New Zealand. So thank you very much, Gerard, and I hope you enjoy listening to yourself. Well, this is the interview I recorded with Stu Stevens just at the end of July. Stu, um, well, the first thing I wanted to ask you is, uh, you grow black currants. Roughly, how many do you grow? Oh, we grow about 125 uh, planted hectares on the farm, Mike. Uh, and how many years have they been growing on your farm? Uh, we've been growing here since about the mid 1980s. Uh, my father started growing then, and um, I've carried on since after coming home to the farm. Uh, in about year 2000. Right, right, okay. Um, obviously they're not all the same type. What are some of the names when it comes to black currants? The older ones are called Magnus. Mm. Uh, that's sort of a home garden type variety. Uh, we've got Blackadder, which is a newer one. And ben Ard and Ben Rua and also Kepler. Uh, and do they have much taste difference? Uh, can do, yeah. The, the Magnus, more traditional sort of... Uh, And I take it your area is pretty well suited to uh, growing black currants. Yeah, we think we're pretty lucky with where we where we're located. Uh, we're quite down, close down to Lake Ellesmere, just out of Leeston, and uh, we think that gives us quite a temperate climate, being close to a, a large lake, uh, and doesn't give us too many extremes in temperatures. And what about the soils where you are? Oh, we, we have uh, a variety of soils, but they're all reasonably, what we'd call heavy, I guess, high water-holding soils. And that's good for black currants? Yes, yeah, black currants tend to like uh, a reasonable amount of water. Um, we sort of say that they're what you'd call a gross feeder, so they like lots of uh, water and fertiliser, and that seems to produce good results if we can keep both of them up to the plant during the growing season. What are they like for weed competition? Um, not too bad once you get them established, Mike, but it's quite important to, uh, to keep the weeds, the weeds away from the little bushes. Yeah, definitely. Now, now at this time of year, you've been pruning your black currants, haven't you? Yes, no, we've, we've just finished pruning, actually. Um, it's probably something we do over the winter months. 
If you were going to do it in a home garden, Stu, what sort of uh, regime would you use for cutting the bushes? Yeah, it's a bit different, I guess, when you've got a couple of bushes in the backyard. You can afford to be a bit more selective, no doubt. Um, obviously, you want to keep as much of last year's wood in the bush as possible because that's your fruiting wood. So you'd probably just select a few older branches that are looking a bit tired from the middle of the bush and cut them down as low as you possibly can and any bushes any branches that have fallen out to the side as well I guess that are getting close to ground level could be chopped off mm -hmm. just to allow new growth new growth will come naturally if you prune like that mm. so, yeah. and you throw those away you burn them what do you do with it on the farm we we end up in the inter row between the rows and we'll just mulch them back into the into the ground with the mulcher Would it also make planting material, or would you want to choose new wood? Um, on the farm, we have our own cutting blocks, so each year we'll have areas that we chop down yearly to, to create new wood, and we'll use them for our new planting. So new wood is better for, uh, for planting with? Yes, yeah, they, they really only grow from, from last year's growth. Okay. Uh, How far do you push it into the ground? On the ground. Sorry, how far would you push it into the ground? Oh, we try to push them in almost as far as we can, really. We use a mechanical planter, but sometimes we plant by hand, and you might only leave an inch sticking out above the ground, uh, especially when planting earlier in the season, as we have been in the last month, just because quite often the frost can lift the cutting out, mm. although this year we haven't, haven't had a lot of frost, so... And when will you start to see if those cuttings have taken? Oh, it depends on the variety. Well, I've noticed some are getting close to uh, going a wee bit green already, which is a bit unusual. But normally it would be uh, late August, I guess. Uh, and you would expect those plants to grow how strongly in the following uh, in their first year? How big should they get? So does that mean Does that mean you might see them giving some flowers and some fruit in the following year? farm you don't use um, plastic mulch for planting into but could you? You could. No, um, some of 
most of the organic growers do that. They'll put down a mulch and then plant into the place. And is there anything else special about black currants that a home gardener should know about? Um, I guess one issue could be the birds. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've only got a few bushes in the backyard, you could have an issue with bird competition around uh, harvest time. Depends the variety. Some of the newer varieties being a bit sweeter, they, the birds do eat them. So that's something to think about. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I guess our other main pest is called current clearwing, which is a stem-boring insect which will get inside your stem and eat out the pith of your uh, stem or plant and uh, can cause a bit of damage if it gets if it gets away. It just becomes just a pruning issue, really, to take that old dead wood out and that. Now, can the home gardener afford to go away on holiday at Christmas time? <laughs> no, you're probably right. It probably is when, when the bulk of them will be harvested, um, just between Christmas and New Year, for those uh, home garden-type varieties. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something else to think about. OK. Well, it sounds like that's it, Stu. Well, as you can understand, that was all that we were able to get in because Stu, being a busy man, had people already phoning him again to get out to work and look after those black currants. Thank you very much, Stu. I'm going to finish there. It's time to wrap up. So bye for now and I look forward to meeting you again from Garden Link in New Zealand. Goodbye. Some folks like radishes and some curl like kale, but give I bought parsnips and a great dish of taters.